And welcome to the first Needless Things podcast of 2016. Today is January the 1st. It is time for a fresh start in all things. And it is time for the Needless Things podcast where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker. And I'm not even going to talk about the last year at all. Yeah, I am. I have to. Come on. How can I not? The last year was fantastic. Uh... I made new friends, have new working relationships, all kinds of amazing things happened. Christmas was fantastic. I got seven wonderful days off with my family. Uh, this year, I have the same thing for Christmas in 2016 and beyond that. Uh, let me just tell you this. Without getting into too much detail, I'm going to be taking a very close look at my future and how things are going to be. But I can tell you for sure that this is an all-new year for the Needless Things podcast, for NeedlessThingsSite.com, where you can find the Needless Things podcast, and for the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show Show, and for all of my creative endeavors in general. I, I am going to double down this year. Things have to happen because these things make me so happy. I got to do so many incredible things at the end of the year, like uh, co-host the Puck and Puppet Show with my good friend Mr. Bo Brown. It just it, it needs to happen more. I love this stuff so much, uh, and, and uh, you'll hear all about it here on the Needless Things podcast. So today I am talking to Ricky Zero and Bambi Lynn from Radio Cult who I have been wanting to have on the show for a couple of years now, and the timing just hasn't worked out. Uh, my schedule is bizarre, and they are, of course, very busy rock and rollers with lots to do, and we finally were able to sit down together in one of the massive gaming rooms hosted by Galactic Quest, a wonderful comic book shop in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Uh, Galactic Quest is awesome. Like, you go in and it's kind of like, oh, this is the cool, uh, massively stocked comic book shop that I've always wanted to inhabit. You see stuff in the movies and, and you're like, oh, it's got, it's covered in toys. It's got tons of comics. Uh, it's just, it's a great place and it has space for people to hang out. Uh, Kyle, the owner, is very much part of the community. He does a lot of stuff there, uh, including gaming, uh, concerts, or not, concert is too big a word, but, you know, Radio Cult plays acoustic sets there. Other bands will play there. It's just a really cool place, and I feel honored that Kyle let us sit down. And uh, he joined into the show for a little bit, and also uh, one of the employees there, Jamie, sat down with us for a bit, and that segment will be at the end of the show. 
But for right now, I want to talk a little bit about Motorhead. Uh, Lemmy Kilmunster passed away the night before we recorded the show, and we do mention it uh, during the interview. And Lemmy, Lemmy was powerful, and I can't claim to be the biggest Motorhead fan in the world. I loved Motorhead ever since the first time I heard him, which would be back when I was first discovering different types of punk rock music. Uh, I wasn't really into, you know metal as much anymore i mean i still loved anthrax uh, that that's the one metal band that always stayed with me but when i was in my punk phase as it were you know i didn't listen to too much else but a buddy of mine jeff introduced me to some some different level stuff and motorhead was one of the things and i mean i i'm sure at some point in my life i'd heard some motorhead songs but he actually was like oh no this is the real shit here and he was right it was the real shit and i I dug him ever since and (laughs) when i was working at the masquerade this probably would have been 96 or early 97 uh, i'm actually still working on a massive article about my time or massive series of articles about my time at the masquerade and i'm discovering dates of specific bands playing thanks to the magic of the internet but motorhead played uh, one night while I was working there and I was a security guy and for whatever reason they chose me to take Lemmy's boots to a local shoe store to have them resold <laughs> right and I was like wow that's wild because one it means Lemmy has had the same boots for long enough for them to need to be resold and according to Lemmy, these are the same boots he's been wearing since like the late 70s. Now, they say Lemmy's boots, and in my head I'm picturing some kind of like badass combat boots or, or something. And when I go upstairs, the manager hands me these dainty little white zip-up disco boots. <laughs> Which, let me tell you, uh, not what I was expecting. And also, you know, on top of that, Like, it it was another one of those eye-opening things, like, everything doesn't fit into the little box you want to put it in. Uh, Stuff is different. People do different things. People have different styles. Some people just don't care what you think. They just do what they do. Like, I know it's silly to to say that over a, a pair of white disco boots, but that was a moment for me that was man lemmy wears these boots which i would not previously have thought of as cool but if it's lemmy they're fucking cool so there are these little boots because he's a little guy and i'm driving to this shoe repair place that is not particularly close to the masquerade so the whole time i'm in my car these boots are in my passenger seat and i'm just sitting there like holy shit I've got Lemmy's boots in my car. Like, I could just go and keep Lemmy's boots forever. But I, I obviously, I couldn't do that. I would never do that. Uh, so I took him to the store. I dropped him off. And I can't honestly remember if I was the one that picked him up or not. I don't think I was. But uh, I went back. And when I got into the masquerade... There's all this noise coming out of Purgatory, which is the bar area. 
and they're playing Motorhead. You know, over the, you know, that's not where Motorhead is playing because that shows not till later in the evening, but they're playing Motorhead in the bar. And it sounds really weird because Lemmy's voice sounds super loud compared to the pre-recorded music that's playing. And I go in there. Lemmy is sitting at the bar drinking with people because they had like a pre-meet-and-greet type deal. Lemmy's at the bar drinking beer with shit tons of people just sitting around like one of the boys singing along to his own voice in Motorhead. It was awesome and inspiring and wild and and even though i didn't get to interact with the guy because i had other shit to do and uh back then i was kind of dumb and didn't understand or not didn't understand but like i wouldn't detract from my job in order to meet people or whatever you know now i would go up there and hang out with lemmy and get my shit done later but at the time i was like well i i better get to work i've got things to do so I, I never got to meet Lemmy or hang out with Lemmy, but I do have that one Lemmy story. As such, this week's musical selection is a tribute to the mighty, the powerful, the unequaled Lemmy. This is Ace of Spades by Radio Cult. Zero from Radio Call <laughs> in their entirety on the show. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Good, good. Chilly? Yeah. It's cold down here. <laughs> it's not at all. You're in love it. I'm like, I walked down here, it's like, it's cold it in here. not in the least. Uh, I, I'm so glad we were finally able to do this because I've been wanting to sit down and talk to you guys, well, since we met, really, to just to do a Radio Call episode and talk about what you do, how you got started, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm glad we finally found the time to yeah, do it. Yeah, man. Because we all have kind of ridiculous schedules. <laughs> uh, how are the holidays for you guys? 
He said, mine was good. He said, I, oh, I can say it again. Yes. I got stuff that I can't use because the weather isn't cooperative. And I, I saw your post. I did not know astronomy was a thing of yours. And you've been foiled. What's, have, what's going on? I have. I got a new scope for Christmas. And every freaking night, except for one, there was, there was still cloud coverage, but I was able to capture a little bit in the sky, in between clouds, for a little bit before the clouds really rolled in. But it's been either storming or just completely covered in clouds. Right, right. So yeah. like getting the new toy and not getting the batteries. Yeah, oh, exactly. You're like, ah. Look at this thing. Did you get anything that you're unable to make use of? Nope. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> All right. Well done. We'll consider that a Merry Christmas. Uh, I want to talk about sort of the history of Radio Cult. Now, we, last time I saw you guys, was here at Lovely Galactic Quest, by the way, located in scenic Lawrenceville, Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll be talking to one of the Galactic Quest folks in a little bit. But last time I saw you guys was here. You were doing a show, uh, doing an acoustic set upstairs with Possum Kingdom Ramblers, okay. which is your bluegrass band. Yes. It's, Faux grass. But yes. <laughs> Nerd grass. Yes. Yes. <laughs> If you've never heard bluegrass music, we're a bluegrass band. Yes. If you're at all familiar with bluegrass music, we're not so much a bluegrass band. Well, and, it, and that's a funny distinction to make because uh, I've got a guy that I work with mm-hmm. that is, he plays bluegrass. He's mm-hmm. all of his life, he's been like sort of in that scene. Mm-hmm. And there have been a couple of different occasions where I've come across a song that I was like, oh, this is cool. Jeff might like this mm-hmm. and, and brought it to him. And he's kind of like, eh. <laughs> like, like it's a parody. I, I have not played yeah. anything from uh, Possum Kingdom Ramblers for him yet. Yeah, you might not want uh, to. Right? Well, and, and that's the funny thing is is that is a very. Uh, it seems like that scene is very distinctive mm-hmm. about their their stuff. It, you know, a lot of fan groups for all different kinds of things get very particular yes. about their thing, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And uh, we learned that we are not part of that bluegrass <laughs> community. Now, there are bluegrass musicians in bluegrass bands that we're great friends with, and they support us, and we support them, and, and there's a lot of love. But it's not universal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that is, I mean, that's any fandom, though. With yeah, yeah. Comic books, movies, mm-hmm. anything. Like, if you feel like something is sort of, well, one, there's, you're not doing it right. There's mm-hmm. that right. mentality right. of, no, no, if you want to do this thing, this is how you do it, which I learned about costuming a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, I made a, a Mandalorian costume and ran into some of the Mandalorian costumers at Dragon Con and immediately it was, oh, well, this is different. And this, I was like, no, no, this is not my point. I just yeah. made it for fun and because yeah. I thought it would look cool. I'm not looking for right. this yeah. kind of interaction at all. Or, or, you know, with comic books or even with the Star Wars with the new movie coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, that movie needed to feel like Star Wars because we've all been Star Wars fans for 30 plus years. Yeah. And we're very picky. Like, we know what we wanted. And uh, that that was I do not envy J.J. Abrams. For well, I deal with. I just said earlier today that was everything I wanted out of the prequels. Yes. <laughs> well, and that was that was my feeling was when you know in 1982 or uh, 83 when Return of the Jedi was it. This is. You know, they're older, and I don't know that I wanted the time lapse, but this is what I wanted. I didn't want 
I didn't care about the history of Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan. I mean, to an extent, yeah, that's interesting, but I wanted Luke and Leia and Han. Like, that's when I was a kid in 1983, watching Return of the Jedi, the, the next movie was going to be Episode 7. Episodes 1, 2, and 3, obviously, they were, you know, the, there was a space for them, but that's what I was waiting for. And right. we finally got it and done, I feel, the right way. Yes, I agree. But, uh, so, going from bluegrass to Star Wars. <laughs> well, you know we're going to end up on Star Wars <laughs> right. with Seven just coming out. So, yeah. we, we've gotten that out of the way for at least ten minutes. Yes, yes. <laughs> we have uh, temporarily at least hit on the Star Wars button and can move on. Uh, but anyway, I, I talked to you guys, and we, we discussed doing this. Uh, we didn't nail down a time, but I mentioned, you know, you guys are very enigmatic uh, which is something that I can appreciate. And I had said, you know, I don't even know how long you guys have been a band. I don't know anything about you. And you were like, well, actually, <laughs> we were just having 10-year uh, anniversary. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys, like, do a 10-year show? Because uh, I, I never – I'm always working when you guys No, play. no, we, we didn't. We uh, – we, we really, what, what's really crazy is Radio Cult started, uh, in 2005. Our first show was July 1st of 2005. So, you know, July of 2015 was our 10 year anniversary as a band. Mm-hmm. And you would think that would be a wonderful opportunity to be <laughs> just doing all kinds of Radio Cult stuff. Sure. But 2015 ended up being a year where I was on more albums for non-radio cult related <laughs> bands than I've probably ever been on in one year in my life. So 2015 ended up being uh, probably a lot less of a radio cult year <laughs> than uh, than we would have liked for it to have been, considering it was the 10-year anniversary of the band. I think it was like the week before I contacted you. I was like... Did you realize that uh, it's our 10-year anniversary? I think it was like Wednesday or whatever it was. And you're like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> That's, it's hard because you're not, you know, you guys day to day probably aren't looking at it like that. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, we've got gigs. we got to plan this out. we got to mm-hmm. do this. You're not sitting there thinking, how may we commemorate our <laughs> yeah. this month? Like, it's an, it's an odd thing to have an awareness of. So maybe we'll have like a huge 11 year anniversary party. Should. <laughs> we should start planning it now so that hopefully we'll remember by the time it actually happens. Yes. Well, we're going to celebrate it, of course, on our 12th anniversary, but, <laughs> yeah. but it'll be the 11 year anniversary party. You guys have been together 11 years, 12 years, but it took us a while to get this thing. And it won't be on July 1st. It'll be some other random date because we'll forget. And exactly. We still have to do this. Now, what's really funny is that that what we just described is how we have always done things <laughs> but we released our first album on our one-year anniversary yes go us so high we, five was that planned yeah. or was that oh, yeah okay. yeah yeah we oh, planned okay. it but we well no originally we wanted to release our first album like six months in and it just took us a while but yeah, yeah. um but we actually did manage to release it on july 1st of 2006 so the fact that we got into the studio Started recording, changed our mind, went to a different studio, started recording. It wasn't working out. We stopped. We went to a different studio, started recording, uh, actually recorded a good chunk of the album. Uh, We got it back, hated it, went to the fourth studio, started recording. We got 
however many songs done, we went in to get them mastered, and our mastering guy, Chris Griffin, that I've been working with for many, many years, is like, you want me to master this? And I was like, uh... <laughs> he said, you know, this is crap, right? And I was like, well, you know, it's not as good as we would have liked, but... So we recorded the album for the fifth time. Oh my gosh! And uh, fifth time's a charm. Wait, no, didn't he lose? Isn't that when the uh, computer crashed? No, no, no. That, that was later. That, that was when he had recorded for us, and that wasn't even with radio. Oh, okay. that was I a different band. I can't remember. I know there was one time we went. There's in been a lot like, of albums. Yeah, but yeah, I do know that when we actually went in, the final, the one that we actually released, that was. Like so insanely fast because yes. we had all this practice. Right. We, we had recorded the album. We, like, we were doing several times. Before. Yeah, we worked out the kinks of what we wanted. But what was really funny is our opening track was going to be "Sweet Child of Mine" mm-hmm. by a little-known band called Guns in Roses. That's weird. Just an N. Yeah. No and or like an ampersand. You don't think about it. Would but make no. It's just the letter N. That's weird. So they recorded the song and uh, we recorded our cover of the song and we were so happy with it. We were like best song ever. We, we were completely we happy did, with yeah, it. We were like wow we really nailed this one. And this, this uh, story's going to end badly isn't it? <laughs> Well, that depends on your point of view. <laughs> For example, you, as a person running a podcast, get a wonderful story out of it. <laughs> That's true. That's a good so, point. So we have the album mastered and ready to be pressed. And there's a little snag with licensing for this song. Now, apparently, uh, we could have gone about it a completely different way and gotten the license, but I didn't know that at the time. So we actually contacted the band and were getting permission to release it and pay them royalties. Right. And um, from what I understand, there were three songwriters involved in this song. Oh, boy. And one of them did not approve our version of the song. Now, I I don't know which member of Guns N' Roses it was, or even (laughs) if this is exactly the way things went down. But uh, I have my own personal theories (laughs) about what possibly could have happened. And I can sort of see it play out in my head. Well, weren't they, weren't they uh, the, uh, I guess, well, the contact, because we won't give anything away because we don't want to get anybody in trouble, weren't they like, well, so-and-so said, yeah, go ahead and record it, and uh, so-and-so says, go ahead and record it, but somebody, and I'm not saying who, is not so cool with that, and apparently that that person was currently in legal battles with the other two, and so uh, sure, that, sure. that also... Oh my gosh. So, yeah. But anywho, we ended up uh, <laughs> having to not use the opening track for the album, which really affected a lot. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but, but I would like to say the uh, the members of the band actually listened to it. That's a good point. You know, that's being that's kind denied of cool. by Guns N' Roses is a far well, uh, 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 not actually denied. Only only one person well, denied right, it. Right. Being <laughs> denied by a member of Guns N' Roses is a much greater accomplishment than anything I can claim. And I, I would also like to point out that that third person 
from what I understand, technically didn't deny it. They just didn't approve it. Right. Yeah. Now, there's a very good chance yeah. there's a difference. that on our 15-year anniversary, we might finally get I that approval paperwork approve. because it's my understanding that this person works kind of slowly. <laughs> then it's not going to happen by... If I, had, uh, if I had any idea who this band was that you're talking about, because I'm not familiar with this Guns and Roses. Oh, guns, in, and in, guns, guns in Roses. In roses. Uh, but yeah. I'll certainly check them out uh, at this point. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think they have a video on the YouTube. Uh, yeah, probably. Well, everybody does. Uh, and actually, since you bring up the licensing, I remember you guys both have been on the show before because we did the Joe Lanta special uh, a couple years ago. Uh, we, well, we all got together uh, around Christmas time. Oh, I remember that. And, in a room full of people. Yeah, yeah. It, but uh, you guys both have yeah. been on the show. Okay. Uh, so I, I feel a little better. That's good. <laughs> At least we got something in there. Uh, so prior to the, that first album, that first show, though, first of all, how did you guys start playing together or decide you wanted to? Well, our drummer, uh, JJ, he and I grew up in the same neighborhood together as kids, mm-hmm. and we were friends before either of us had any inclination of playing music. And uh, I, I remember clearly discovering the magic of music through the band U2. And uh, <laughs> the look on your face is priceless. I'm sorry. This is an audio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, if we were live, I'd have a mask on, so it wouldn't matter anyway. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. I could have seen it in your eyes. Yeah. Wow. I would never have guessed that. I, my guess would have been Ramones, but well, I we became, all start somewhere. Yeah, that's right. My, mine was Michael Jackson. So. Oh, high five. That's well, one of Bambi's like top Jackson five. five. Yeah, I was the Jackson five. I was I mean, that, Michael Jackson, I, that MTV, obviously, I mean, that was my gateway, was MTV, but right. Michael Jackson was the first thing where I was like, wow, what is happening here? Well, I remember being home from school because I was sick one day, and this was way back when MTV used to play music videos, and uh, they were playing... Now, that I am familiar with. Yes, yeah. <laughs> many, many of your listeners may not know this, but the M in MTV stands for music. Not werewolf teen drama. <laughs> yeah, not mediocre. <laughs> That's right. Now I believe, isn't it MTV? Yeah. <laughs> so, I hear what you did there. All right. <laughs> but I was watching uh, MTV, and they played a, a rock block of three YouTube videos, and I knew what I wanted to do with my life. Wow. And then I was reading a book on YouTube in Canada while I was on vacation with my mom. And you're like, there's no way I can possibly travel around the world saving civilization. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. No, but he can get a really big flashlight and shine it in people's faces. That's right. So I'm standing on the front porch of this cabin overlooking the mountains of Canada, envisioning myself playing keyboards. It's turned out to be an amazing and valuable interview because these are things I never would have guessed or known. And nobody else would have either because you were the first person that I have ever told this to while being recorded. Oh, my gosh. This is wonderful. I can't even tell you I'm serious. I'm so delighted right now. Yeah, my first question was, was there a cape involved? Were you wearing a cape? Wearing no, a cape I, I, wasn't, I wasn't familiar with Rick Wakeman yeah. era yes yet. 
So I had not That's envisioned amazing. myself playing a cape. I was envisioning myself looking like a cross between Bono and The Edge, yeah. playing keyboards outside of a cabin in Canada. Oh my god! So awesome. I can't imagine anything sounding more lame than what I have just described. I don't agree with that at all. As a matter of fact, I know that we have some very talented, artistically inclined listeners uh, to Mm -hmm. the Needless Things podcast, and if anybody would like to provide an illustration... Painting of a yeah. young Ricky Zero in Canada with a keyboard. It's, I would love to see what, that. Was it at nighttime so they can do the howling wolf at the moon? <laughs> off in the no, distance? no, it, it was no, sunrise. It was sunrise. Oh, yeah, he was the wolf. So you, you've got the the shirt with the wolf howling at the moon on. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> with an eagle spread eagle, it, airbrushed, airbrushed, yeah. airbrushed, an airbrushed shirt. Yeah, I, I don't think you're using the the phrase spread eagle, eagle. correctly. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> But I'm just gonna, it's wings spread. That's what I meant. Yeah, I'm right. just going to ignore that and, and go back to the story about the uh, music. So, the keyboards of Canada. So, <laughs> so I get back from Canada, and I call JJ, and I say, we're starting a band. What instrument do you want to play? And JJ doesn't really talk a lot. So he said... He he just shrugged his shoulders for those that actually can't see him do it. That's right. So JJ decided that he wanted to be the drummer, and he got a snare drum and two drumsticks. And and it was around this time that that I was informed that playing keyboards wasn't cool. (laughs) And since being in a band is all about being cool, I clearly needed to avoid anything uncool just, you know, right out of the gate. I could work my way up to uncool. Yeah. I'd just like to point out, um, I-, I was the keyboardist for the <laughs> just, I'm just going to throw that in there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> we had a friend who owned a guitar. Clearly he was going to be our guitar player. Yeah. Uh, we didn't need to discuss this with him. It was just, <laughs> just going to happen. Sure. So, uh, I, I was informed that keyboards weren't cool. JJ had uh, dibs on drums, and we knew a guy with a guitar, so clearly that position was taken. Um, I could not sing to save my life, so I had no clue what instrument I was going to be playing in my new profession. Uh, so JJ and I were looking at albums to see what other instruments were involved in what, what a band. Sense. That's an interesting point, because i got to say, when, when I was a, a kid and when I first... You know, that first exposure with MTV and, and seeing, like, Michael Jackson and Dire Straits and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, but the the technicalities involved in the band and the different instruments, I, you know, there, there's a guitar and there's drums. Right, That's yeah, yeah. All you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're a kid learning. And the, I, I wasn't even aware of the existence of the bass guitar until, like, I started hearing, like, Metallica and stuff. Which, <laughs> ironically, know. at the time, you can't hear their bass. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, is there bass on Injustice for All? I've been told there is, but I've never heard it. But you have, you know, you you see all of the the posters and whatnot, and there's... Jason Newstead, and you're like, what is what does that guy do? Well, he looks he's, cool. And, and no, 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 the first thing is not he looks cool or he plays bass. The first thing is, well, he's not Cliff Burton. <laughs> you're right. That's, you're right. That's, what you're does right. Jason Newstead do? He takes a lot of crap for not being the guy he replaced. You're right. You're right. Yes, exactly. You're right. So we're looking on all these albums, and we see they they all have this thing called bass. So I went into a music store and I said, "What is a bass?" I said, "I need a bass guitar." 
And the guy said, yeah, they're over there. And he sort of points in the general direction of everything in the store. <laughs> and uh, I say, could you be a little bit more specific? <laughs> and so he walks me over. That's and, right. Uh, in, his, in his mind, he does not realize that you don't actually know right. what you're looking for. Right. He no thinks, clue. Uh, he thinks this is enough for you. This yeah. is gesturing. So he, he takes a bass guitar down and he hands it to me. And my first thought is, how is this any different from the thing that my friend already has? Yeah. You're just trying to sell me something that we've already got one of. <laughs> so he hands it to me and he says, you want to try it out? And I'm like, I don't even know where to put my hands. <laughs> so he plays it for me as though that's going to give me any information. Sure. Um, the only information it really gave me was that doesn't sound like I expected it to. <laughs> so, uh, I got this guitar, this bass guitar, and uh, we had a band. Me on my bass guitar and JJ on his snare drum and our friend whose mom would never let him come over on guitar. <laughs> and, and that's how I got into music. So, so who's singing at this point? No one's singing. Not a concern. Uh, well, it was a concern, but, you know, we, we would cross that bridge when we came to it. You didn't have any friends with microphones. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. So uh, at this point, it was just me playing bass guitar and JJ playing a snare drum. And essentially, that was our band. <laughs> now, he and I have uh, been in numerous bands together over the years, off and on with varying degrees of success and varying degrees of seriousness, including the worst jazz band in the history of music, oh my. which was offered two record deals, one by Atlantic Records and one by GRP. But that is a completely separate story we'll that, that I will not get into We'll right save now. that for the jazz cast. That's right. The yes. jazz cast. <laughs> jazz is so bad. Why can't they just play the right notes? <laughs> So anyway, uh, I went through a variety of bands over the years, and so did JJ. He actually ended up being in an extremely successful band called the Impotent Sea Snakes, touring the world, playing at the biggest metal festival in history, touring with Motorhead, uh, R.I.P., Lemmy, by the way, for those listening, uh, we're recording this on the 29th of December, and yeah, Lemmy Kilminster one of the greatest individuals in the history of rock and roll uh, passed away last night. So we're... Was, I don't think anybody could say it was surprising. It's not really one of those, like, oh, it came out of nowhere. Because like, if you've seen or heard Lemmy lately, he's he's been in rough shape. Right, it's, right. It's but it's still, still very sad. Yeah, absolutely. So J.J. toured with Lemmy. He used to shoot pool with Lemmy. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. He toured with the Misfits and was actually asked to play drums for the Misfits when Marky Ramone was leaving to do another project. Right. Uh, J.J. was asked if he wanted to play drums with them. And uh, he he did that for years, had great success. And when uh, when I was putting together Radio Cult with Bambi, J.J. basically said, I'm not making any money playing in this band, can I join your band? <laughs> We're not touring enough. So uh, that's how JJ ended up in Radio Cult. Bambi and I had played in a few bands mm -hmm. uh, before Radio Cult. Bambi is significantly younger than JJ and I are. And uh, JJ and I had been playing together and separately for several years. Bambi was still in high school. And... Uh, <laughs> 
one of my friends in a completely different band said, hey, does that girl play anything? Because we need a girl in the band. Uh, maybe she could play keyboards or something. Keyboards. And yeah. <laughs> which, which become cool when it's a girl playing. That's right. That's, it, at the very least, becomes less uncool. At the very least. <laughs> or if you're Elton John, it's cool when you're Elton John. Well, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but very few of us get to be Elton John. Yes. A very small minority of the population. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I could count the number of people who get to be Elton John on one hand. So uh, Bambi was now playing keyboards in one of my bands. And at the time, I lived with a bunch of different musicians. So everybody's like, you guys have a girl in your band. We want a girl in our band, too. So Bambi was then playing keyboards for all these different bands. And uh, we started doing clubs and started touring. And at the time, she's still in high school. <laughs> I never got carded. Completely underage. She didn't get carded. carded until after she turned 21. Yeah. But uh, she had been the chick who played keyboards in all of the bands around that time. And when uh, when Bambi and I left the last band before Radio Cult... To start Radio Cult, uh, it was basically the two of us. She and I were both alternate lead singers. I was playing bass. She was playing keyboards. JJ was going to come in and play drums. And uh, that was the core of the band. The, the three of us have, have been together ever since doing Radio Cult. Mm-hmm. Now, Bambi, what was your motivation for... Like, where where did your music come from? We, we hit the Michael Jackson thing, but what made you want to create music? What was your keyboard in Canada moment? <laughs> keyboard in Canada? I actually don't know what the what the actual moment of just wanting to do it, but I, I was in orchestra when I was in middle school. I was trying to think if I started in elementary school or if it was middle school, but I started in orchestra, and I at that point, I really wanted to do it. coolest thing ever, and I actually wanted to be a drummer. I started out wanting to, like, play drums, and I said, well, I either want to do that or I want to play cello or upright bass. And the school put me in the clarinet section because obviously those were, you know, that was where I wanted to go. The first day I was holding a clarinet that the school provided and I was like, this is nothing on the list. I, we were supposed right. to give like three or four instruments. And uh, That's I, how I ended up with the trombone. Yeah. <laughs> but I threw a fit because I was like, no, I want to play drums. And like, well, we're not doing drums this year. And I was like, well, I want to play, you know, cello, upright bass. So like, we have too many people that signed up for that. What do you want to do? And, and they said, well, you can either play vi- uh, violin or viola, but nobody would want to play viola. And I was like, what's this viola thing? And they're like, well, it's like a cello, but looks like a violin. I was like, oh, well, there we go. There's my medium ground. Worst choice ever. It's like the most useless thing. Like, they taught me how to read alto clef, which is useless. Thank you. You know, thank you. Thank you, school system. So I, I became fluent in alto clef, and I played viola for a long time, and then I got asked to play keyboards. Yeah. Her, her, uh, well, it's, I was I mean, like, what's this? It's the classic yeah. viola to keyboard Obviously. that we all know. I think her, her moment of standing on a porch in Canada envisioning herself playing keyboards to the mountains was really a bunch of guys saying, hey, you want to be in our band? <laughs> I was like, all right, wait, wait. And I didn't own, own, own a keyboard or anything like that. No, yeah, she yeah, didn't. I didn't. My mom had, my hat, my mom had a keyboard, but it had been fried by the, uh, like the uh, lightning hit the oh, house yeah, or something yeah. like that. So I didn't even have that. So I started shopping around and my mom actually, it was a very, very, very big purchase, but I had, I got a huge discount at a store because I knew the people at the store. 
I strangely knew all these musicians, but wasn't in bands. But I, I ended up getting a really nice keyboard, and the people at the store talked me into this one, even though I had wanted another one. And I'm very grateful that they did because it's an awesome keyboard. Yeah. Turns out I ended up having two of them now because I ended up liking it so much. I ended up finding another one. But I just kind of stumbled into that rock band. Just, just kind of happened. Now with the keyboard. You know, deciding, hey, I'm going to play keyboard, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many variations and types of keyboards, what's mm-hmm. available on one, what's, you know, what right. you can do with them, whatever. Like, what what was your decision on that? Like, what were you looking for? Knowing you were going into rock bands, what do you need in a keyboard? I have no idea. Uh, they call them patches, actually. It's sounds. Like, and I learned that doing this, but I wanted the biggest variety of sounds I could have on a, on a keyboard. And I want to clarify, I play keyboards, I don't play piano. <laughs> that is a very different instrument. <laughs> if you could see it, this is what I do. I'm like, one finger. One finger on a note. That's how I started. I was like, yeah, I am a keyboard player. But yeah, I started out just trying to find a uh, keyboard that had the most sounds in it that I could, that I could use. And it turns out, now, the people talked me into one that was over another one because it had all kinds of onboard um, ways I could change the sounds if I wanted to. It had a whole suite of, of things in it where I could record the parts onto the keyboard. Okay. So, you know, programming had all this stuff in it that uh, most of the keyboards at the time didn't really have. You know, they had a lot of patches and all this stuff. But for, for this keyboard, it was the most bang for your buck. So you, so you this is years past the yes. Samba beat being a desirable yes. feature yes. of the keyboard. Yeah, you wait are. a minute, wait a minute. That's no longer a desirable <laughs> yeah. feature of the keyboard? Yeah, well, when, also when I was looking, it's like, ooh, these have built-in speakers. They're like, no, no, no. If you really want a real keyboard, it doesn't have built-in speakers. Right, right. You know, you get into synthesizers. You don't want built-in speakers. You yeah. actually have to amp, amplify those somehow. That's when you get into um, what they call professional stuff and all that. I mean, you, you can still get pretty far with the ones that have built-in speakers and all that. Those are there's not knocking those at all. They're they're great for what they are. But. Right. In fact, I think the first recording that you were on with keyboards was just one of those. Yeah, it was a really old one though, and those are even cooler. Yeah. It wasn't like you know just the Casio you pick up at Walmart, but yeah. But I did one of my very first keyboards I borrowed from the drummer at the time because I didn't didn't really have one that that suited what we needed and it had built in speakers that we had to bypass. We had to figure out how to cut them off because of, you know, up on stage you don't actually want the noise coming right. out of the speakers. <laughs> so you uh you had your keyboard experience uh and how how does it work? Like, if you're playing with a bunch of different bands, mm-hmm. it's hard enough to schedule one group of people to do a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, because you guys have both played with a lot of different bands at this point, how does the scheduling work on that? Well, it just seems like it'd be a nightmare. But at the time, it, I, like I said before, I lived in a house with a bunch of musicians, and uh, that's where all the bands rehearsed. So you never had two bands rehearsing simultaneously right. because it was in the same room. And uh, basically, it was just a, a thing where um, every day I was practicing with somebody, but it was different groups of people. And over the course of however long it was, um, I think Bambi ended up playing with most of those different bands 
And there was a lot of, like, this drummer's in three of the bands, and this guitar player's only in one band, but this guy's in two bands. And, you know, it, it was right. a lot of just trying to see what worked. I met you through one of those people that you, yeah, that you played with. That's how I ended up meeting him was through a drummer he had. So we, I, I just realized we kind of glossed over, because I definitely want to get into influence uh, a little bit. We went straight from you two <laughs> to uh, <laughs> what, what else... You know, when you guys were were developing your musical interests and taste and whatever, who else were influences for you? Like, what were your... Because, you know, for me, there was pop music and then metal and then... Mm -hmm. uh, Well, really, I guess rap and hip-hop for me, like Beastie Boys Run DMC hit probably a little bit before metal did, but then that led to metal because of, you know, the the crossover that happened with Run DMC and, and everything. Uh, but, like, I, I remember specific stages of expansion, right. I guess, musical, like, oh, there's this, too. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's some country music that doesn't suck. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, it, it's, what were what was kind of your progression? Like, wh- how did you get, like, when did you discover punk? When did you discover, you know? Well, for me, uh, the first record, and I mean vinyl, that, that I ever listened to was, as a very little kid, uh, a band called The Bear Cuts. And... I'm not even sure they were a real band. It was essentially a Beatles tribute album where they just had covers of Beatles songs interspersed with other songs that were probably recorded by a different band for a different album just to fill up the album. (laughs) So it's got I Want to Hold Your Hand and then something completely unrelated and then, you know, another Beatles song. And I used to love that album and I'd, I'd listen to it as a kid all the time. Um... The first band that I ever got into was The Police. And when I got my first cassette deck, uh, three different people gave me The Police album Synchronicity on cassette. So I knew it must be awesome because my cool uh, older brother's wife gave it to me. Yeah. And um, a couple other people gave it to me. And I, I just loved it. I thought that was awesome. And I actually told uh, my sister-in-law, I want to go see this band. And she's like, oh, they they broke up. This, <laughs> this is old stuff. They're, they're not around anymore. So that was my first musical disappointment. But the singer is doing stuff now. And you, you know, may want to check it out. <laughs> so do you like jazz? Because that's kind of where he ended up going. And you can follow the guitar player's work. He's kind of playing jazz now and and if if you really like the drumming the drummer is working with Stanley Clark who's a famous jazz bass player so uh they kind of all went to do that um and then I went through you know the bands that were on MTV I went through my twisted sister phase and oh, yeah. Yeah. you know stuff like that Def Leppard um but when I when I first got a bass, I remember going to a new school, you know, for high school and talking to the other kids who were the hip musician guys. Right. And uh, they were like, so you you play uh, bass guitar, you know, nobody plays bass. So that's cool because everybody needs a bass player. And uh, so what are your influences? And I'm like, well, I, I'm really into you, too. <laughs> and it, it was like they looked at me like, do you have a mental handicap? Because... That's not cool at all. <laughs> and, and I was just like, 
it's not cool to play keyboards. It's not cool to be into U2. Apparently, Canada is not cool either. I had no clue. <laughs> uh, but they introduced yeah, no me. Yeah, no mention of Rush thus far, which is surprising. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but it's funny that you say that because <laughs> what I was just going to say is these guys say, you need to listen to Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and Rush. These are the bands that are really cool. I mean, if you want to get a hot girlfriend, you need to be listening to Rush. <laughs> That that is totally the way to go. Those are words that I never expected to hear together and in that arrangement. So that's a first for me. All the chicks love bands that play Rush songs, dude. Wow. So that's what exposed me to classic rock. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned earlier that the first band that JJ and I were ever in together, the guitar player's mom would never let him come over. So we reluctantly... Because you weren't listening to Rush. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably. You were not playing with that kid. He doesn't listen to Rush. Are you kidding? He wanted to play keyboards like you too, who doesn't even have a keyboard player. You don't want anything to do with that kid. So uh, we reluctantly <laughs> picked up a different guitar player... Uh, uh, he he went to school with JJ, and uh, he was he was like the cool guy. So he knew all the cool music to listen to, and he introduced me to the Ramones and uh, the Clash. Actual and, cool music. Yes, actual cool music, <laughs> as opposed to the music that I had previously thought was cool. So then I started listening to Danzig, and uh, the Ramones became the Ramones really became my one of my biggest influences. Um, so on one hand, I'm listening to Led Zeppelin and Rush, and on the other, I'm listening to Danzig and the Ramones. And I thought nothing of that. You know, to me, it was just like, yeah, these bands are all really great. Right. And uh, Rush and the Ramones became two of my big influences simultaneously. Turns out that doesn't really work well when you're trying to fit into social groups. Let me ask you, uh, <laughs> have you, although if you do love Rush, you may be the other end of this. Have you ever fallen into the Rush trap? I'm not sure what the Rush trap is. When I said that's because I just made it up. Uh, what is it? You <laughs> like Rush, so you're in the Rush it, trap? It, well, it, no, it's not that. It's, this is based on personal experience. Uh, I've had several occasions where I have in passing mentioned Rush because I went through a time where I thought the uh, that tree song yeah. that they do was one of the greatest pieces, and I, not entirely seriously, but one of the greatest pieces of music I'd ever heard, because just the concept of the the simple tree the political symbol, allegory, right, right? Well, and then the idea that the trees are operating. I just thought it was awesome. I discovered it, and I just loved it. I was like, "This is incredible!" And I mentioned it in passing at one point, and it was almost like. I shot up a flare. <laughs> Rush, this guy, I kid you not, came from yards away yeah. and was like, man, Rush is the greatest band that's ever yep. lived. And I unwittingly got sucked into an hour-long conversation about Rush Yep. when my knowledge of them is passing at best. And I just thought this tree song was really funny and cool. And he's like, yeah, and then uh, then I, he's like breaking down the history of Rush and their <laughs> tours, and I'm like, I didn't want this. Well, <laughs> I, that's happened to me a few times 
I actually was that guy yeah. in this story. Yeah. Right, I was right. not the you character. Right. I was the, the other you, character. You're the in one that, that sees the flare. Yeah, just comes running. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that comes from you know everybody knows everybody knows Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Everybody has a, that passing knowledge of Rush, mm-hmm. but when you really love Rush, or and again this goes for any genre, when you any, when you really love any one thing, you do home in like. They just said that thing I love. Yeah. I want to Why, talk about that what was thing that? I love. So you you do that. Yeah. You go after that. Um, I, yeah, I, I was the guy going after that. I, I was the, the guy that ended up in lots of conversations with people. Um, but what's funny about that is it turned me on to a bunch of other music. Because of that, I got into bands like Yes right. and Pink Floyd and uh, a band called Gentle Giant that I was really 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 into and hardly anybody has ever heard of um so that didn't really go all that well but <laughs> <laughs> let's be a gentle giant tribute band and play to nobody <laughs> it'll be just like being an original band right, and play right. to nobody for all intents and purposes you're just playing original music like as far as the crowd knows exactly yeah, yeah. so i i went through that phase of being uh, annoyingly into Rush. <laughs> like, uh, this is the degree that, that I was annoyingly into Rush. The girl that I was dating at, at the time was just like, okay, you can't listen to this all the time. You, you've got to switch it up a little bit. Just put in a damn Queen's Greatest Hits CD occasionally. Right. Just something else. And uh, after we broke up, uh, we still lived together. Completely separate story that I will not get sidetracked into. But she started dating one of my drummers. And uh, I was completely cool with it. He's an awesome guy. Um, but huge Rush fan. And, <laughs> and so she said to him at the beginning of their relationship, I will not date you if you listen to Rush around me. You, you <laughs> cannot listen to Rush. And in particular, the Hemispheres and Farewell to Kings albums, which I listened to on repeat for approximately three and a half years. So much so that my huge Rush fan roommate drummer said, dude, can you please put on a Queen's Greatest Hit CD or something occasionally just to mix it up? I love Rush. You're really killing it for me here by listening to these two albums on repeat for three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. So I, I was that far into Rush. And then I've seen him several times. Uh, we all saw him. Bambi was even there. We all saw him. Mm-hmm. Second row. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Bambi was one of three women in the audience. Yeah. And uh, the only one anywhere within eyeshot of the stage. Uh, Which was funny. So the guitar player and bass player of Rush literally are pointing Bambi out to each other like, there's a girl here. And she's on the second row. And she was at the time extremely goth, totally gothed out. And Mm -hmm. uh, the guitar player for Rush, Alex Lifeson, was pointing at her and like making faces through the entire show. And the bass player came over and (laughs) they were interacting with her just like... You know, somebody from the road crew or something. Yeah, right? we were making faces, exchanging, you know, gesture. It was just, it was entertaining for me. And for those of you familiar with Rush, you know too. that they're incredible live and never make mistakes. I got to see Rush make a mistake 
on my favorite Rush song, which sounds strange, but it was like a highlight of my Rush experience. Sure. And, you know, everybody in the audience, which is made up of three-piece bands, air drumming, air basing, and air guitaring along, simultaneously look at each other going, oh, oh, did you hear that? They made a mistake. They made a mistake. Did you hear that? And it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a collective gasp. (laughs) And all it was was the guitar player stepped on a pedal and it didn't trigger a sound effect that it was supposed to trigger and they just went through the progression once more and he hit it and it worked. So it was a very, very small mistake. But But everybody everybody noticed. because Except for me. I was like, why is everybody freaking out? (laughs) What? So the show ended and it was incredible. I could not have asked for a better experience going to see Rush. It was amazing. I was with my friends. The band was great. We were second row. They were interacting with someone in our group. It was wonderful. And as I was leaving, I thought, huh, I'm done with Rush. And that was it. That's That was going to be my question, actually, because when you've had that fantastic experience, do you really ever want to go see Rush again? And Chance... Your last Rush story being, eh, it wasn't as cool. Yeah, and, you know, I have seen him since then, and it wasn't as cool. Yeah. But it was okay, you know? It was just like, I, I still like Rush, but I rarely would get out a Rush CD. I rarely would, you know, if it comes on the radio, I don't change the station. Yeah, I yeah. just think, ah, it's Rush. But it, it's it's like I'm done. I've finished with that part that of my life. That was the apex and, of your Rush. Family. Yeah, and I was able to, to move on and... And start uh, obsessively stalking bands at, at a smaller level, so now they can actually be afraid of me when they see me at the shows. You know, Rush has way too many of those people. They have more than their fair share of frightening fans. Right, right. I, I had to, you know, give my frightening fandom to another group. So that's what I've done. You guys don't appreciate my intense weirdness. You've got, you've got so much of it; it doesn't stand out. I need to focus this elsewhere. Yes, that's right. So now Calabrese is the lucky recipient of my uh, of, of my over you, you fandom. May, you may have chosen poorly because I think they have their fair share of that as well. Oh no, no, not they, as much as Rush, obviously. Right, right. But uh, actually, the the panel that I was talking about to you earlier that I went to after my conversation with Doc Hammer was the Calabrese panel at DragonCon, and. Uh, after the the panel was over, I went up to introduce myself to them, and they already knew who I was. <laughs> yep. Well, they're they are probably one of the nicest bands I have ever met, mm-hmm. uh, present company excluded. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. We consider no, ourselves more on the fan side. <laughs> but seriously, those guys. Uh, the first time I ever met them was at Dragon Con in two thousand nine, and I was just walking through the band area. And I think it was Jimmy. I was say probably Jimmy seems to be the most. He, he is. He's, he's definitely. I mean, they're all nice, the, but he's the one that I. He's, he's the to. pusher. Yeah. Like, and uh, I, at the time, I was still kind of learning about the whole bands at Dragon Con mm-hmm. thing and like the night stuff mm-hmm. and whatever else. And I'm walking by, and they've got. I mean, you know, Calabrese's imagery is fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. T-shirts. Their mm-hmm. self-promotion. Like, right. Exactly. That mm-hmm. Ricky is wearing oh, yeah. a Calabrese shirt. Uh, of which I own. I'm not. Of which, well, you see if I was. <laughs> that would have been great if we'd all shown up that way because I've got a bunch of their shirts because they put together such cool stuff. Like oh, they, yeah. They are, their promotion is on point. 
Like, they really know what they're doing. Agreed. But they're so nice, too. And Jimmy just walked over, and he was like, hey, what's going on, man? And not – it wasn't the here's our flyer, come see us Sunday night. It was what's up, what you checking out, what are you mm-hmm. doing? Like, we actually had a conversation, and mm-hmm. it wasn't just, hey, look at my band. Right. Uh, and, and that was the first time I ever spoke to them. And, I've you know, they've been on the show. We've talked to them since and stuff. But they – like, I have I have the feeling that once they meet you, they know you. Right. Like well, they, they seem to be able to keep track of people. We've uh, pretty well. We've kind of gotten. To, we've played with them now. We've yeah. we, we've um, hung out with them a few times, and uh, I, I wouldn't say that they're fans of ours. I mean, <laughs> that, that really didn't sound right. No, I wouldn't say that they like us as people or human beings. Um, but we uh, we were at one of their shows. We got there early, and uh, they were you know, still in the parking lot. And before we even saw him, we were just getting out of the car. And I think it was Jimmy started asking Bambi questions about something that had been going on with our band. And I can't even remember what the topic was, but it was something that, you know, you would have had to have followed her on Facebook right, to know about. Right. I'd say followed me, but for those of you out there, I don't get on Facebook. You're very, you're, you're very easy to follow though. Cause you, you've only, Posting four things a year, so yeah. I mean, if you can't if keep that. track, if you can't keep track of what's going on with Ricky, then it's your own fault. So at this point, I feel like, uh, and I'm sure a lot of their fans feel this way. I feel like they're friends of ours, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's a great way to be a, as a band from a fan's point of view. You know, mm-hmm. to feel like you know the band. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully. People who dig radio cult feel like they know us. You know, I, I definitely would rather come across as approachable and somebody that you can just go hang out with rather than, you know, somebody that's got a wall of security between the crowd and the the band. Not that we really are any position to have a wall of security, (laughs) but, (laughs) but you guys, you guys do have, and I mean, that's one of the reasons we're sitting here talking today Mm -hmm. is you guys do have that approachability. And, you know, once, once you do, and then, you know, from the fan standpoint, and I'm sure you guys know this, it is difficult sometimes to uh, sort of broach that, that barrier, you know, regardless of how nice, you know, a band or an artist or whatever the case may be seems sometimes it is like, well, I don't know whether they want to talk to me. I'm just going to go over here and look at this other thing. Like, you know, <laughs> right. I, I don't want to waste their time right. with, with, you know, my whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys are, are very good, you know, having seen you at conventions and stuff and, and whatever else. Uh, you are very approachable. You're very uh, relatable, despite your rock and roll enigmatic. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah, that, and, and that is a valuable thing, and I certainly think that's – uh, not all bands know how to do that or can do that because it's, it's also difficult to do because you do, you, you kind of don't get to have a bad day. You don't get to, you know, if you're going to be nice, you got to be nice to everyone. You, yeah. you can't have that. Wow. This person's really annoying. I'm not going to talk to them. It doesn't work like that. You, you have to, which, which is something that I have over the last couple of years oh, of doing yeah. this stuff. I have learned like you're, you're going to get folks that. Hey, Carlo. Hi. Welcome to the Needless Things Podcast. Are we live? We yes, are. Li- well, we're live-ish. It's a, it's a live recording. Okay. Uh, Kyle, uh, the owner of Galactic Quest, has just walked into the room. To have lunch. To have lunch. <laughs> he was expecting some privacy to enjoy his meal, and boy, was he surprised. I was going to go ahead and sit and listen in, because 
I'm going to be highly amused and entertained by the subjects that you guys are talking about. You're not talking about Star Wars or the spoilers, right? We, <laughs> we already moved past yeah. Star Wars, oddly enough. You missed we Star got Wars. that out of the way early. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But uh, and thanks for, for letting us do this here, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being uh, entertaining. <laughs> we, we do what we can. Uh, so, with... Uh, the the whole presentation of an image because you have an image yes it's, it's yeah. part of what you do uh, and, and I do I, I do think you guys do a good job with that uh, you know while you may not be on Facebook Bambi is definitely like you're interacting yes. with people all the time and you get uh, oh yeah countless cat related things posted <laughs> to your page people all the time are like man you post so much cat stuff it's like actually I rarely post <laughs> right, right. rarely post cat stuff I do love the cat stuff and I'm, I love it when people post on my wall but that's it's like I'm like half a percent of the time posting anything about cats right. and Everybody else is flooding my wall with it, which I love. Yeah, yeah, I it's, love. It's you. You don't have to go to the trouble. Like, I don't. What is my yeah. cat thing today? Oh no, there it is. Yep. Uh, so, what is your? Uh, we we know uh, to a, to an extent now. Ricky's musical journey. What was your, you started up with pop music? Rush. Up through Rush. <laughs> yes, that yes. will have to be continued. Uh, you started with pop music, like probably most people do, or at least most people mm-hmm. around our age, because now things are different. Like music is a whole different scene now. You know, back in the eighties and nineties, everybody was listening to the same stuff. You you had top forty, you had MTV, you had like everybody was aware of everything. Now it's all broken up into you listen to what you want to listen to. Like it, it's not, I think the discovery of music is very different now. So what, what was well, your Bambi's was very different and, and I'll let Bambi tell this, but her top five biggest bands or biggest influences, you wouldn't necessarily think would go together. And yeah. <laughs> like, like you and you too. <laughs> well, I'll say, you know, one that I don't usually bring it up, but the first album I can actually remember ever getting to, and I was really little, didn't know who they were, didn't, you know, just, it was just music. And, uh, it was my dad at the time. I have a lot of fathers actually. It's going to be <laughs> mom got married a bunch of times, but anyway, my first dad, that I can remember living with, uh, had an album that he used to listen to that he ended up giving to me on cassette tape. It was a cassette tape. It was awesome. And he had a little cassette player that I got to listen to it on. And it was uh, Roger Hodgson, I think is his name. And he had a solo album. It turns out it was the singer for Supertramp. Oh, wow. And I didn't know at the time, but I was just like, this is the greatest thing ever. It's got keyboards. It's got singing. And, you know, it was, it they was must just, be Canadian. <laughs> it was awesome, but I loved it. And I didn't know until way, 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 way later that it was not, it was just his solo project thing. And I loved it and all that. But the first band, I guess, that I really got into, I knew who they were, was the Jackson 5. I drove my mom nuts listening to Rock and Robin. All the time. Oh, wow. Because I could hit back and play the song over and over and over again. And I loved it. Oh, I drove her nuts. So I really liked the Jackson 5, but I never had a full album of the Jackson 5 because we didn't have a lot of money. Still had my trusty uh, boom box that my dad had given me that played tapes. And Big Lots would still sell tapes. And so we'd go in and find all these old Motown tapes. And I'd look for any of them that had the Jackson 5 on it. So I'd collect the different ones. And then fast forward all the way to the Jackson 5 tracks. So I really liked the Jackson 5 and later into the Michael Jackson phase because he was in the Jackson 5. That was amazing. So I really got into the Jackson 5, and then I discovered Aerosmith and absolutely loved Steven Tyler. I wanted to be Steven Tyler. still do, just minus the drug and the craziness stuff. I'd love to be Steven Tyler. And Typo Negative. 
It's one of my biggest bands that I absolutely love. One of my biggest influences. Can you imagine a tour with Roger Hodkins, (laughs) Michael Jackson, and the Jackson 5, Aerosmith, and Typo typo Negative? Yep. Those are kind of some of my bigger ones. And I really liked Nine Inch Nails. I got into... um, like Brian Setzer, I love the Stray Cats. That's kind of my new thing right now. Oh, Stray Cats. I love the Brian Setzer Orchestra. Oh my God, I love the Brian Setzer Orchestra. You can't skip ZZ Top. Though. No, I love ZZ Top. Yeah, ZZ oh, Top, yeah, yeah. the the opening riff for Lagrange. That's what made me want to play guitar. Well, ZZ Top. I mean, that's that's a musical journey in and of itself. Yeah. Because you know, I, I think the general public's awareness of ZZ Top is mm-hmm. their arena rock phase. <sighs> And those guys have played lots of different kinds yes, of music. Yes, they have. And they're really good at all of it. Yeah. Like, people, you know, people who are aware of ZZ Top, a lot of them sort of poo-poo that 80s big rock thing that they I did. Love it. I love but it. they did it better it than was anybody awesome. else. It was awesome. It could have done it forever, and we're like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, we, we got it. We got it. There, there's an incredible interview with Billy Gibbons uh, on Mark Maron's podcast where he talks about all that stuff, like starting out and mm-hmm. just playing the blues, and then how it turned into this sort of obsession with the technical side of making mm-hmm. music, and that's why they did that whole thing in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And like, well, well, now we want to try this equipment to get this noise. Well, yeah. now we need it to be bigger and louder. Well, now we want it like, it's fascinating. That, that's, yeah. that's a great story that I won't repeat here, <laughs> because this is my podcast and not Mark mm-hmm. Maron's. But it, yeah, I recommend yeah. men to anyone who's into music to go listen to that yeah. really Gibbons interview. It's awesome. Yeah. I also really liked the Moody Blues growing up. I don't know. That, you know, Moody Blues is Knights one of those and White Satin. That's okay, the one okay. you would know. Right, Everybody yeah. knows Knights and White yeah, Satin. Yeah. But they have a lot of stuff that's like that well, up until the 80s and then screw that stuff. What was their like hit in the 80s that you hate so much? <laughs> was it uh, Wildest Dreams? Oh, it's like nails yes. on a chalkboard. Wildest oh. Like the one I'm thinking of? The. From- no, I'm thinking of only. If it's really lame, I was going to say, if it's really lame and like, why would anybody listen to us? It was probably the Moody Blues. There's so much it was of that from so the 80s, terrible. To, but, to before, yeah, but before that, they had all this like huge catalog of just amazing stuff. And granted, it's like progressive rock now. I'm learning that's, that's the term is progressive rock, but it's, okay. it's mixing orchestra music, you know, classical music right, right. with rock music. And I just, you know, orchestra background. Love so it. I'm a geek for that. When, when you get into prog rock stuff, which is, uh, you, you are going to or you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got yes. Is that the starting point? Because yes had like they had some radio songs, and I think from yes you discover the other ones. Like what? How does how do you get into it? Because you said you're kind of just now maybe learning more about that stuff. Well, over the years, like, I, like, I think she learned mostly uh, yeah, during the phase where I was obsessed and the other people in the bands that we were yes, in I'm were like, obsessed with progressive. Yeah, rock. So I'm like, Rush, she was in was, a progressive rock band. Yes, briefly. Was, so is rock, Rush falls into that category. Well, I'll say, as far as with me, with Rush, mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of Rush. Sure. Great musicians. I cannot stand listening to it because I'm so sick of listening to it. Everybody, all these guys that love Rush, it's that obsessive thing. It's like, right. just put something else on. I mean, it's greatest hits or I, anything. Yeah, anything. I'm like, you know, driving down the road. It's like, even if the music's not being played, they're over there tapping the, why is he out? You know, how long? It's like, 
I can't even get away with get away from it when it's not playing. Right. So yes, I'm. Well, I respect Rush, but I do. I would not willingly put in a Rush CD. Anymore. Even in an, even in an absence of Rush, Rush will be created. Yes. To answer your question, though, how do people get into it? Is it yes? Is it Rush? Most of the bands that seem to be the gateway into progressive rock or prog rock, yeah. as the nerds call it, <laughs> as we nerds call it, um, usually it's the more mainstream bands. Like people get into Genesis and then find out that Peter Gabriel used to sing for Genesis, okay. and they used to do all this really complicated arrangement music that that they don't do anymore. Like or Tull, people ELP. get into. Uh, yeah, Jethro Tull's another gateway, or um, Pink Floyd, who a lot yeah. of people don't consider to be progressive rock, is a gateway into progressive rock. Sure, sure. Um, Rush is one of them. A lot of people will argue that Rush isn't prog, or that Pink Floyd, or that Yes or isn't Dream prog. Theater, that's another Dream one. Dream Theater is another one. But uh, the, I think Yes... Early yes, they went through a lot of lineup changes, but early yes was generally considered to be one of the big progressive rock bands. And early Genesis also was considered to be one of the big progressive rock bands. So those are probably two of the main ones that get people into progressive rock. Now, did you ever, have you guys ever played that stuff or wanted to? Well, as Radio Cult, no, not at all. <laughs> well, right, right. But yes, I was in a progressive rock band. I've actually been in several. Um, in fact, my rock star moment was I opened for Yes at Lakewood Amphitheater. And that's, it's, it's a long and wonderful story that ends with before the show, we finished our sound check. We were hanging out while Yes was doing their sound check. And uh, it, it was such a great experience. Um, You're fighting not to tell the whole story. I am. It's such a long story. The struggle and, is real. I can and, see and it. I, I don't want to take the time that it would take, but I'll just say that my greatest rock and roll story involves Yes and, and the time that I got to open for them at Lakewood. So, um, being a Yes fan, and especially at that time, uh, I did play a lot of progressive rock music to usually no one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, my most successful pro progressive rock band, uh, and Bambi was in it at one point, um, we toured the United States, and it, it was crazy. I remember playing a show in, I think it was New Orleans, where someone had flown from another state to see us. But there were only like eight people in the club and seven of them were at the bar drinking and would turn around occasionally and give us evil looks while the eighth guy is singing along with every song in front of the stage going, I can't believe you're playing this close to my house. I only had to fly an hour. Oh my yeah. gosh. Wasn't that, that was also the day, I think the, uh, one of the guys in silver chair was there or something like uh, that. It was the, the guy from Soul Asylum. Soul Asylum, yeah. yeah one of the guys, that's right. One of the other People, people in the bar looking at us like, what are you trying to do up there? <laughs> I want to get your feedback, your feel about, uh, you were talking about the progressive rock. Yes. And the experimental and so forth. This um, is Kyle speaking, by the way. Before, before uh, and, uh, this was a curveball. I couldn't figure, you're like That's trying to toss ball, things. I was like ball. tossing nothing um, to I, You know, Chicago became very popular with 17 and the rest of the, you know, that, that era. 
But before that, I was listening to some of their albums. I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, it's, it, it, was, it was so different. Do you have any any feelings about early Chicago's albums that most people aren't familiar with? Yeah. Chicago was a great band. They were they had a lot in common with the progressive rock bands. But the seventies in general was a time when people were able to experiment more musically and it was accepted and still made it onto the radio. And mm-hmm. Chicago's a great example of a band that was able to turn that into commercial success. So yeah, great band. So how did you guys arrive at Radio Cult's formula? Well, I had been doing the most out there progressive rock, playing to crowds that sometimes reach the double digits on a good night, and uh, going through guitar players like you would not believe. Uh, The drummer and I were roommates and practiced seven days a week obsessively, and guitar players would come in and and get really frustrated really quickly. So... uh, one of the guys that came through had been a friend of mine. Uh, we had gone to the same high school together. And he said, look, I'm leaving the band because I have this opportunity to play with a cover band. You should audition for the band, too, because they need a bass player. And I said, ah, I don't want to play popular music covers. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> why said, why said, would I want to do that? You said so many things during this interview that it surprised me. <laughs> and he said... <laughs> this has been revelatory. Yeah. He said, man, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I said, well, what kind of covers are we going to be doing? I mean, will we be playing Yes and Pink Floyd and Rush? And he said... No, man, we're, we're gonna be playing 80s covers, like you know, like Jenny Madonna Jenny. and Tommy Two-Tone and, and the outfield that I was Springfield. like, who are these people? <laughs> I've never heard of any of those bands. Nobody wants to hear that. What are you talking about? This ACDC? And, and he said, well, it pays a hundred bucks a gig. And I was like, sign me up. Where, where do we do this? <laughs> is, is there a process that I need to go through? Let's make this happen. And uh, so, I, that and that is when I, I started on my way to uh, playing 80s cover songs in a band called The Amazing Idiots. And uh, for two weeks, the guitar player and I went on the road with the band while the last guitar player and bass player finished out their, their tour and watched how everything went. And uh, before we went on the road, we were given a list of, I want to say it was 60 songs that we had to learn, and then we'd go on the road. And uh, so I was given this list, and I tried to track down as many of the songs as I could, and I literally had never even heard of some of these songs. And I learned as many of them as I could, as best I could, and we went on the road and watched the band do their thing, and uh, there were people there at the shows, and I was just mind-blowingly surprised that people came to this. I had never experienced people coming out to see my badge play. Not only that, there are girls in the audience. Yeah, what was that all about? This and, is so and they weren't just they weren't just the girlfriends of people in the band. They were other girls that were at these shows. And so my first night, I get up on stage and I, I had learned these 60 songs to the best of my ability and the amount of time given and I looked at the set list and I said to the guitar player these aren't the songs that were on the list that I was given to learn and he said no that can't be right and he looked at it and he said nope these aren't the songs (laughs) and a lot of the songs on this list there, there were a lot that we had learned but a lot of the songs on this list I had never heard before 
Uh, your love is one that stood out as one that I completely missed that song. Josie's on a vacation far away. A lot of people don't know it's actually called Your Love. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. So I'm looking at this set list. I'm not sure that was one on that particular night, but it was all these songs that were, you know, top 10 80s hits, and I just had no clue. I had no experience with hits from the 80s beyond The Police, which, as we've already established, were really a jazz band, and U2, which, as we have already established, was a Canadian keyboard band that just happened to be from Ireland and not have keyboards. But anyway, uh, I, I got on stage... Uh, and I was looking at the guitar player who also did not know the songs that were being called out. And we were playing to a, a, a huge crowd of people, which I was not at all accustomed to. And we were playing very badly because we didn't know the songs. And we took our first break because uh, unlike every show I had played up to this point, where we were lucky if we got to play for 45 minutes, this show lasted four hours. So, yeah, you said 60 songs, and I was like, that seems like a Yeah, lot. yeah. So we got to take some breaks, and on the first break, uh, I was a little bit panicky because I had been playing terribly to the biggest crowd I'd probably played to for the majority of the gigs that I, I'd done up to that point, um, with a few exceptions like the aforementioned Yes show. Sure. So the drummer's like, just calm down, man. What's the problem? I was like, well, none of these songs were on my list of songs to learn. And he said, well, just tell me a song that you don't know and give me your bass and I'll show you how to play it. He had been the bass player at one point in the band, so he knew all the songs on bass. He had also been the keyboard player at one point in this band, so he knew all the songs on keyboard. And he said, if you get confused, just look back at me and I'll tell you what to do. So he's back there playing drums going, A, A, change to D, change to D, we're about to go to E in now. And he walked me through it. And in that band, I realized two very important things. Number one, I am much more interested in playing a song that I hate to a big crowd of people than playing a song that I love to nobody. (laughs) That was a very important lesson for me to learn. Seems like it was also really important to learn that not every song is a bass solo, the entire entire song. That one took a little bit longer for me to learn. I learned that I like playing in front of people very quickly. (laughs) The second thing that I learned is how to improvise on stage and make my way through songs because clearly we still had to finish this show and I still didn't know these songs and it went from something that terrified me to something that excited me and now I love making up songs as we play or getting a request for a song that we don't know and trying it anyway so that was a lot of fun and I was with that band for a while and uh, we toured it was a probably the biggest production group that I was ever with. We had a road crew. We had people that set stuff up for us. We had people that drove for us. Um, It it was a big production thing. And when I left that, um, I started another band doing a similar thing, doing 80s covers that was really successful. And I took what I learned from both of those bands, and, and Bambi was there for part of this too, we decided to put Radio Cult together and combine what we loved about playing covers with writing original music and doing that as well. So that's kind of how Radio Cult came about from being a huge Rush fan to to playing what we do with Radio Cult, you know, a combination of covers and original music. Um, And I have so much more fun now 
than I ever did playing progressive rock or playing a lot of the other genres that I played just because the the crowds that we play to really get into what we're doing and uh, it's a lot more about a show than just notes on an instrument you know there's a lot more going on than just staring at my fingers playing the most complicated thing I can play on bass I may not even need my left hand for this song you know that live energy uh, I feel feeds you so much more. Now, granted, you know, it's important to have, you know, the, the creative side of it and, you know, doing doing something you love doing, but that live energy is, there, there's nothing that compares right. to it. Right. Uh, doing the MCW, the wrestling shows that I did for a while, we had bands play and... One night we had a band play, and I won't say who it is, but my thought was, well, these guys just do covers. I don't know that this is really because uh, it's it's a lot of like fifties uh, stuff, mm-hmm. like Louis Louis and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to really play for the MCW crowd. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I was really concerned because I, I host that entire three hours of entertainment, right. and if the band kills the audience, I have to get them back, which right. can be very difficult right. with drunken yokels. Yep. Uh, We've been there. Yep. We're, yeah, we're yeah, familiar yeah, right, with that right, scenario. Right. Yep. Uh, and these guys went on, and they were the best band we had play the entire run of shows that I did. Wow. Because everybody knew their songs. Everybody wanted to party and dance to Louie Louie and you know, all yeah. the other stuff that they played. People love that stuff. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. who it is. They're like, oh, I know that. Yep. And you know, we had other bands that, that killed it that did really good with original stuff. But man, the, those guys, mm-hmm. that was the best. Everybody went up to the stage. Everybody was listening, dancing, playing, singing along. Like, it, was, it was amazing. And I, it was one of those moments where I had to sort of recalculate right. things in my mm-hmm. head. Like, oh... I don't know always what's best to entertain people. Well, the, the the great thing about that story is it really resonates with something that took me a long time to learn. And originally hanging out with other musicians, going all the way back to high school, playing covers was okay, but it wasn't taken seriously. Right. You know, you had to do original music and maybe mm-hmm. throw in a cover or two to be considered a serious band. But after doing covers for a long time, I started realizing the Beatles' first three or four albums were half cover songs. Led Zeppelin's first album was essentially ripping off blues songs for the entire album. Almost a cover. Yeah. I mean, they didn't credit the original artists, but every one of those songs was pretty much a cover. Right. Um, some of the most successful rock songs of the 80s, I Love Rock and Roll, not a Joan Jett song, right. a song by the Arrows that she covered, mm-hmm. not a Britney Spears song, a song by the Arrows that Joan Jett covered and then Britney Spears covered. Um, a lot of Van Halen, who during the 80s was considered one of the best musically, one of the best bands out there, a lot of their hits were covers. Yeah. So I realized that you know, you can do covers and still be legitimate. Who's more legitimate than the Beatles? And uh, that's kind of what we came into Radio Cult doing. We want to play covers. We want people to be able to relate. We want to play the stuff that we love. And we also want to do original music. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun to do both. 
But one of the skills that I think we've acquired over the years is learning how to judge a crowd while you're there, you know, learning, okay, maybe tonight we don't play many of our original songs because these people are really getting into the covers. Maybe tonight we need to do a lot of eighties keyboard heavy material. Maybe tonight we need to do nothing but metal. Maybe tonight is going to be a punk rock night, you know? Mm -hmm. And since we've been doing this for so long, we've learned a lot of material and we can, you know, really pull out what people are going to get into. And, uh, it's, it's been so much fun. I, I think I'm insanely lucky to have been able to have my job be playing in a band for the last 15 years. That's just crazy. Yeah. So that, and, and that is, there's a line there, like you guys want to entertain people. You want to have fun doing what you do, but there's also just from seeing you guys before and after shows and stuff, like you, you are very, you're very aware of the technical aspects of what you're doing. Like you're, you are very professional. I've seen when you've been interacting with other musicians, like one, actually one of the shows here, um, a year or so ago, maybe longer. I don't even know. Uh, but you answered a bunch of questions for the, the people that you were working with. Like you were helping everybody with like, well, no, you're going to need to do that and that. But like you guys are very much, uh, I feel like to a certain extent, you're sort of the center of shows that you play because you have so much experience and knowledge and you're so willing to share it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, well, there's no point really it back we, from anybody. I mean, right. we get why people do that. We have gotten so far because of other people helping us. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like the natural way to do things. I don't understand bands that feel like it's a competition. Yeah. And I'm really not into that mindset right. at yeah. all. Um, so a lot of our friends, um, you know, are, are people in other bands and, I want to sit down with them and say, Hey, what's working for you? This is mm-hmm. what's working for us. Right. Have you guys yeah. tried this? Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, what if we work together? What if we do a show together? What if we're all on a CD together? What, mm-hmm. you know, what can we do to help each other out? I mean, yeah. it's tough. It's hard to yeah. do music professionally. Even if you're not doing that as a source of income, it's just hard to get people to care. There's mm-hmm. so much music out there that, you know, we need all the help we can get. And if we can help other people out who yeah. are just starting out, awesome. Or even if people that are far along. I mean, it, I, I, I often have to answer emails from people that have been doing this longer than we have, but haven't quite figured out certain things that we have. And on the flip side, I, at this point in all the bands I've been in, I've played over 2,000 shows. That's a lot of shows. And I've mm-hmm. been on more than 50 albums. Yeah. These aren't figurative numbers. These are literal. Yeah. And we mean literal, literally. <laughs> right. Yes. Radio Cult played its 1,000th show, I think, over a year ago. So we're well that. over 1,000 shows now just, just with, with Radio Cult. But I still have to ask people questions. Mm-hmm. I still There's so much that I still don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the interesting thing, you know, anything that you're passionate about that you're doing... Uh, everybody that's doing the same thing as you learned it a different way, has right. had a different path. There right. may be things that, you know, you skipped over because you didn't need that knowledge at the time, whereas somebody else had to deal with it. Like, and that's why, like you're saying, I do like that collaborative learning and that willingness to share knowledge and experience and whatever else, because we all know different stuff, which is part of what makes you unique and interesting. Like, nobody else is like Radio Call. Nobody is. 
And even if somebody else is sort of doing the same thing, they're not radio called. Like everybody brings their own stuff to the table, and that's why, you know, if if I share some secret podcasting knowledge that I have, I don't care. Do take that. Do mm-hmm. it. Do the same thing because you're not me. Yeah, like right, I'm me. Right, I still right, do what I do. Right. But if I can help you be you, mm-hmm. cool. That's great. And that's you guys. Uh, like I said, I've witnessed that, and that's awesome. So. Into the future of radio cult. Oh, you gonna add like reverb to that? I, Into I might. the future. I, you know future. what? If, if we were on Skype, I would because it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> I, I, I gotta tell you, I'll probably not. Um, what What are you guys looking at in in 2016? Because we're we're not into the new year yet. Although this will post on the first day of the new year. Oh wow! You're yes, this is our special New Year's episode. Happy New Year! Welcome Happy to New 2016. Woo. Ooh, see, we're time travelers right now. We are. We, that's always something I'm a little conscious of. We're visiting like, you from the past. <laughs> we yes. are. We are. We don't know what. We're happened. talking to the future from the past. We don't even know if the world will still be here on January 1st at this point. That's right. You're right. Catalina <laughs> might pass by and hit us. You never right. know. We got a comment. That's right. But you you won't be able to see it. I know. We, well, we, I don't hey, know. I'm still holding out hope. Bambi Lynn could potentially warn us of our impending doom if yep. the cloud cover would just dissipate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what do you what do you guys have coming up? I mean, because uh, you you do a pretty good mix of, uh, I, I guess, uh, you do like corporate gigs and you also do. Um, just regular shows and stuff. We do like we children's do. birthday parties. We did that. We well, did a five-year-old's not, birthday party recently. Not as radio cult. Cool. That was another one of our yes, projects. It was. Um, but yeah, we just as radio cult, we do everything from weddings to corporate events to festivals to bar gigs to uh, you name it, benefit concerts, private parties, if all it, different <laughs> kinds of things. If it pays, we'll play it. <laughs> That is one way of phrasing. Um, that's hey, a pretty good phrase to everybody, even be able to use. You know that. what? Everybody's got to pay their bills. I just have right. to be doing it, doing something I like. Yeah. Right. Um, so what are we doing in 2016? When first, is the big 11th uh, anniversary? Yeah. Game? Well, first I should you know, say I that... I my calendar. Um, first I should say that over the, the 10 years that we've already been doing this, we've released numerous CDs... Uh, we're hoping to have a DVD out really soon. We put out a comic book, um, and we're hoping to have the second issue come out maybe in 2016, but, uh, who knows? Uh, that's very dependent on outside factors being outside factors, being the artists who draw it for us. Um, but we've, uh, we've got a radio cult cartoon that, uh, so far has only been on one of our DVDs. We're hoping to have a new one out soon, a new DVD that has the cartoon on it. Um, I think that's one of the, the big things for 2016 is trying to finally get this DVD out. Um, we have new t-shirts that are coming out too. And, uh, hopefully some cat stuff. We'll see. Hopefully cat some baby. new cat related things for Bambi yes. and, and Makes all of happy. the cat fans in our audience. But I'd said earlier, I would just like to point out, I haven't meowed this entire time. I've been holding back. That's fine. You can say whatever you want on this show. Cat enthusiasts. Um, (laughs) 
So well, you have beat for every meow, isn't there? You're going to beep it out. <laughs> meow that you mention it. Yeah, now you meow that. When you say cat fans, are you talking about uh, people who are fans of Radio Cult and of cats, or are you talking about literal cats who enjoy Radio Cult? Both. Both. <laughs> Both. Yeah. We have been on tour. There's video footage of this, and I, I think it's in the 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 B real stuff on the DVD. Uh, you would know better than I would since Be I... Real, the, the vocalist from Cypress Hill. Oh, nice. No. <laughs> Gag Reel. Gag Reel. Other stuff real. The other stuff real. There's footage of Bambi uh, at one of the hotels, outside the hotel, um, petting a cat, and the cat walks into her hotel room. And it's like, oh, uh, I'm going to get busted she, for this. she had a cat knock on her door in the middle of the night begging for food. We were oh, in we Columbia, South Carolina at a hotel one time, and there was a cat standing on its hind legs, meowing to her like it was talking to her in a language that she could understand. Maybe she could. I don't I know. I but it was it. standing on its hind legs going, meow, 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 I meow, so meow, meow, wish meow, I had meow, had a meow. microphone because I would have interviewed that cat. Oh, that would have been the best interview. How did you think of the show tonight? Meow, 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 meow. That would have been the coolest freaking interview. We've recorded at different studios, but the last several studios where we've recorded have had numerous cats around while we were recording. So uh, we have for me. fans who are cats and fans of Radio Cult who are human that are also fans of cats. I get tipped in cat food occasionally. so That, I, that is I, true. I give cat homeless cats. Food when I find them, you know, just cats are running. You know, you go to Waffle House. There's a lot of dumpster kitties that, yeah, that you know. Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with the Waffle House? Uh, I have heard of this house of waffles of which mm-hmm. you speak, uh, but the weird thing to me is apparently they have more than just waffles. I they have hash browns. I've heard rumor. They I would have, have gone hash browns. I would have gone with waffles and more. Muffles more. In, it's like Bed Bath with, and Beyond, but with an N, like this Guns and Roses. Guns in right. Roses. It would be Waffles in more. No, you know what? I take it back. I would have used an ampersand. I can't deal with you that. You can't do the N, thing. even no. if you have the little, you know. No, I, but yeah, you came and put the apostrophe beside yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't just, work for yeah. me. Does, does Guns and Roses use an apostrophe, or is it just an N? I believe that they're fans of the apostrophe so much so that they sometimes use two. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, uh, I think we're good. Do you feel good? It's because I started bringing up the cat stuff. And you're like, wow, stop. we're cutting yeah, it out. You kill all of our interviews not, by uh, bringing yum, up yum, cats. Yum, 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 yum. Nah, that's enough. No, seriously, though, I'm glad I got to sit down with you guys. Yeah. I feel that we could probably do another one at some point in the future. I, I, I think there's plenty of stories to be told. Ricky Gosh, has a lot of stories. Yeah. Bambi could even finish answering the questions that I didn't let her answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're doing, you're doing fine. You're, doing, you're more interesting anyway. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much, and uh, also thanks to Galactic Quest for letting us come in here and, and have a space to, to sit and talk without interruption. Uh, so we look forward to. Where can we find you online? Before we go, we got to do the. Uh, how do we find RadioCult dot com? Yes, or Facebook dot com backslash RadioCult if you're a Facebook user. You can also look up RadioCult on the YouTube and yes. find. Both our official videos and dozens of live videos filmed by fans, some of which we wish weren't on YouTube. Those are <laughs> often the best ones from a fan's point of view. Uh, yeah, that, that's see, I, I love that that we're in that age now. You know, on the one hand, it's kind of detrimental to the artists sometimes mm-hmm. because 
you you know you used to be able to just play and think okay well if we, you know if this this gig doesn't go quite as well as we want it's fine we we've got you know we get the experience we get the practice or whatever now everything can end up in front of oh, yeah. everybody yeah. there's yeah. no more like private yeah. like even you know, whether you're doing stand up comedy or, or playing music or whatever like everything can get out there and i'll tell you there've been lots of nights when we've gotten a request for a song that we didn't know and I've said, all right, we just got a request for a song that we don't know, but we're going to try it anyway. And I see six cell phones Go come up. up. Oh, and sure. Like, and they, oh, they don't record oh, any of that. They this is what's coming out? Yeah. This is what you're going to post on YouTube? We just played six songs where we only made a few mistakes. But this is the one you're going to post? I like or? the I like the one also. They, they like to shoot it from the corner of the, the stage or from the, uh, the dance floor. And they wait for everybody to go get their beer or whatever. Like, we'll just be taking a break. And oh, like, like, I can no. see. The stage. I can see the. I can see you guys. So I got the best video. It looks like no one's there, but there's like 600 people on the other side of the floor. It's like, yeah, thanks. The one song. In the one moment of the night, you get it where nobody is standing in front of the But stage. I do want to yeah. say, we think it's phenomenally cool that somebody cares enough oh, I know. Yeah, to post the oh, video. Sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's we feel really lucky that we've been able to do this, Radio Cult specifically, for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. We've been really, really fortunate to, yeah. to have such awesome fans that have supported us in all of our crazy, sometimes cat-related endeavors. Often cat-related endeavors now. <laughs> Thanks to me. Well, Bambi, if you would, meow us out of here. Meow, meow, meow. And thank you guys so much. <laughs> thank you. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> meow. Can I come over that way closer to you? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Cool. Here, I'll take Bambi's purse so you're no, not talking I want to Bambi's the skeleton purse. cat. I want, I want Bambi's purse. Already, we're in a new segment, and the cats have returned to the conversation the already. Cats, cats are in every conversation. Come on now. <laughs> it's really funny. I have the same shirt she's got on today. Do you? Yeah. I almost wore it today. I'm glad we didn't because somebody would have to go home and change. So, you would I have to go? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> you have to go shirt. Shirt. Gonna You've got to go home and change. Yeah. You've got to get the third one. You know, you missed the memo. So we are now sitting down. When we when we arrived at uh, Galactic Quest in Scenic Lawrenceville, Georgia, uh, Jamie was here, and we had a brief conversation that you also have a podcast. I do. What do you talk about? We talk about comics. We normally try and keep up with um, the weeklies, which is fun because, you know, we read 25 to 30 books a week. Right. You know, on Tuesday to try and get it done. It's literally part of your job it is. to be aware it's, it's of the comic so book happening. It's so hard. <laughs> it is so hard. I, I say that in actual, actuality. It does get kind of exhausting sure, after a yeah. while, you know. Um, but no, we just talk about new comics. We try and we try and get some of the stuff that gets missed by other ones. We do a, we do a lot of big two, but we do a lot of indies. Yeah, well, and that's important because I, I mean. With the big two, one, they have all the promotion they could possibly need. Oh, yeah, they don't need it. The indies, you know, it's that stuff. It's hard for somebody, even somebody who's been a fan of comics for decades, it's kind of hard to dip into the independent stuff It sometimes. is. If you don't know where to start, there's just so right. much going on. But with independence anymore, that's where your storytelling is. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're doing a lot of great stuff in Marvel and DC, but when you look at it, you can find the old Marvels, you know, what if Jane Foster was Thor? Well, they've apparently taken that and made Jane Foster Thor. Right. So how many stories can you tell with the same characters? Not that they aren't doing a good job, but 
you get a lot more story-driven stuff in Independence. And well, and, and, well, and that's absolutely true, is you do, you know, you've got Spider-Man, and they, you know, relaunch Spider-Man again with Spidey, yeah. which is, you know, it's a fun book, but holy cow, we just had Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, well, you've got Amazing Spider-Man that just rebooted again. They're on issue six, comes out next week. Then you've got uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, which has not started yet, but right. already, you know, you've got coming out. you got Spidey, you got Web Warriors, you have Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman. Uh, Spider-Man 2099. So you, you've got all the Spider titles. Which, by the way, Spider-Woman is one of the better things. I like Spider-Woman. I, I love Spider-Gwen. And that's the thing, too. I, I, I complain about the big two a lot. But to give the devil their due, I mean, I'm, I'm reading them. Right. They're making fun books. Yeah. They're, they're not breaking new ground, but they're they're making fun stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still pick up a few titles from each of them. But the best the best thing I read by far is Saga. Oh, yeah. Saga's um, fantastic. Um, have you tried Bitch Planet or Pretty Deadly? Uh, Bitch Planet has been recommended to me over and again. I'm going to have to check it out. I was going to say, this is my non-compliant. Come on now. Oh, uh, really? I, yeah, that's mine. Oh, wow. Uh, Lotus Mandala done in the middle. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to give that a shot. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm one of those guys that I grew up reading Uncanny X-Men when Chris Claremont was writing it. Our, our Jim Lee doing the art. Yeah, well, the year, a few years after, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I it's it's hard for me to dip into an independent title because you, you've got so many factors of, you know, one, is it going to have support? Because you're going to get three issues in and be engrossed, and then it's going to get dropped. Yeah. Which, granted, now that's an issue with the big ones, too. It you know, really DC is. cancels titles left and right. It's they crazy. They canceled... Telos before the first issue had come out. Right. So there's, there, it's hard to get invested in anything. It is. Uh, well, we, we could and will talk more, but for now, I just wanted to do a drop in where we could put in the end of the show since you guys were nice enough to let us record here. Uh, what is the name of your show? Where can we find it? Uh, we are on SoundCloud. Uh, ours is Fine Plus, F-I-N-E and then the plus sign because okay. we're fine. Plus, <laughs> um, and of course, you know, comic fans, you know what Fine Plus is. So yeah, we're on SoundCloud. Um, let me see. I, we don't have a Twitter or anything else set up yet. Just the SoundCloud. Oh, you got to do it. Yeah, uh, the I know. Twitter is is the key to everything. I don't understand how. Yeah, on, on my personal, every week on my personal Twitter, I'll tweet. You know, right, I'll right. actually tweet the creators and be like, "Hey, I talked about your book. Here's the link to my stuff." And yeah. Gail Simone's gotten back to me. I've started nice. some cool conversations with like James Tennyan and. Uh, couple other people off the top of my head. I'm, I'm kicking myself because I can't. Cy Spencer. Well, um, that's that's critical, though, and that's something I definitely have trouble with, but if you can get into conversations and be present and, and interact with people a ton, that's the best way to get over Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just finding the time for it, honestly. Yeah, yes. Social media is a pain. It is. It really is, but it's a part of everything now. I gotcha. Well, cool. Thanks for talking Thank to you. us. Thanks for letting us record so here. Much. Of course. And uh, we'll definitely, yeah, we'll be back. I'd like to talk to Kyle at some point, and we'd definitely okay. like to you can, sit down and talk comics at some point. I was going to say, you can be the one person that wants to talk cow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, no, that's great. Awesome. Ribbing. Well, thank you, Jamie. I appreciate thank it. You. I appreciate it. I should point out that Radio Cult's cover of Ace of Spades is from their album Grooves from the Grave, uh, which is Selections of cover songs you can find it at radiocult.com or if you go to any radio cult show they will be more than happy to sell you a copy it's a great album uh, i really enjoy their interpretations of stuff and of course they've got uh, an album of original songs as well radio cult versus mecca radio cult which is awesome so 
that's it. I'm I'm really happy to have talked to them, but I feel like they'll be back in one form or another. Certainly, uh, Joe Lanta, I will once again be needing a lovely co-host, so Ricky and or Bambi would be great. And I should also remind you that you can find the Needless Things podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher, as well as at NeedlessThingsSite.com, alongside five days a week of reporting on toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery from myself and from the Needless Things Irregulars. Original content, five days, sometimes more, a week. Please do spread the word about Needless Things. We need all the exposure and all the help we can get. Uh, just let people know if you enjoy it. Tell them about it. If you don't enjoy it, but you think you know somebody that might, tell them about it. And uh, Although, you know, if you didn't enjoy it, I doubt you made it this far in. Uh, but for those of you that did, thank you so much for supporting us. We are heading into another big, new, fun year. Lots of excellent stuff planned, including... The 100th episode of the Needless Things podcast, which I have not quite yet nailed down what we're going to be doing, but I'll let you guys know as soon as we have an idea. Until then, I love you guys.